Okay, we're going. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kier Vescavalli, the founder excuse me, of Smartly. It has been a while, right? It's been like a year and a half, I think, since you and yeah. I last talked. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I think last we talked was a year and a half ago. Uh, yeah. We had a very good chat at that That's time. Awesome. <laughs> I believe <laughs> I believe I was super passionate, raising funds, going full steam on. But now the market has changed a lot. We're in a different position, and um, I thought it's it's great to touch base again and, and change ideas and, yeah, and see, see how it goes. Yeah. So what, what do you think the most significant trend is in fintech in Asia right now? I mean, a year and a half ago, I feel like it's a completely different market, right? What, what do you see happening that's really trending? Um, so right now, what I see trending overall is, okay, you have a lot more capital coming in, into the market, especially yeah. in the fintechs. And the companies that started out two, three, two, three years ago, they are maturing. Uh, they're getting into their like later stages of the of the early startup days, yeah. and and we're now seeing first results of these companies. Uh, so mostly, I think we're going to focus on robot advisory. But overall, a lot of these fintech companies that came here, they're maturing now, and they're finding their product market fits. They're right. finding the right models, the right niches. People are picking it up. Uh, the markets are learning both institutions, retail clients. Etc. And and the big trend that I see happening now is you have a lot of good technologies out there. Is it wallets, uh, digital banks coming to the place, robo advisories, uh, lending platforms? So now these technologies are all looking for a larger ecosystems to be part of, right? So uh, I think a very good example is a company called Ovo in Indonesia that launched I think about a year and a half ago. What's it called? Uh, Ovo. Oh, oh, the, oh, yeah. So, and um, what they're just a digital wallet in Indonesia, but they already have over 150 million users. Wow. So, yeah. So, but the strategy for them was to use the digital wallet. Uh, it was launched by this one very big, uh, big institution in, in Indonesia who has like retail stores, cinemas, uh, supermarkets, etc. Who was so it? So, they launched uh, Lipo Group. Yeah, Lipo, got it. Good, yeah, good yeah. Strategy. So, yeah. So, and and now I think they also Ovo partnered with uh, Crab uh, in Indonesia, and they also now got the largest e-commerce site to use their wallet. So it was actually e-wallets have been around forever, right? But now it's kind of being used in a totally different strategy and 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 way that they people approach the market. So I I see this becoming a trend. So see, a lot of these technologies or startups are trying to or try to plug their technologies into larger ecosystems. Right. And I guess that's the follow on question to me is, you know, a year and a half ago, we would have talked about disruption. And now it just feels like it's more like these small fintechs or maturing fintechs, like you said, are just starting to serve larger players. In other words, they've created Thanks. all this technology and the best way to go and get 150 million users is by partnering with Grab or Gojek. And I see a lot of exactly. this across the board. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the biggest trend because I think like people are understanding that standalone fintechs, it's very hard to make it. And how much fun do you need to raise to, to be totally standalone and independent, build up your closed ecosystem like uh, GoPay is doing in Indonesia. They're now losing for over, for example. So it's very hard to do everything alone and, and think you can be successful, right? So there are a lot of these institutions who have all these distribution channels and who 
need technology. So now they're thinking, okay, we can actually use technology, leapfrog a lot of these marketing, scaling, user acquisition problems. They're just gonna roll it out to their existing customers. Uh, so I, I see this the biggest trend um, because now, now Asia is full of uh, fintechs, right? The models yeah. have been copied from the US and Europe. All the, all the amazing stuff that has been going on in, in US for the past five or 10 years is now happening here. And now it's the only question, okay, how we can actually scale it out to the, uh, to the millions of users. Yeah, it's just really interesting to me. So Lippo, right? Like you said, they own supermarkets and now they're going to have probably the largest e-commerce, not supermarkets, sorry, retail sites. They're going to have the largest e-commerce because they already have the product. They already have the distribution centers and they already have the clients. And now if they have build that wallet and you said they have, what, a hundred and something million people using the wallet yes. already. Well, now they own that ecosystem, right? And now they can actually be in a position, good or bad, right, to go out and say, exactly. what else can we what else can we bolt onto this, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's interesting to me, right? Because e-wallets have been around forever. Yeah. And now these, these, guys, these guys came out in less than two years, 150 million users. It's amazing. Uh, it, it really is. Yeah, look, it's like issuing a credit card, except that it's, it's much faster to do it and it's at scale. All somebody has to do is download your app and they're shopping in your store anyway, right? So they're already your client exactly. and now, now you know exactly. who they are. So you talked a little bit last time we talked about raising money, right? And you know in the news that Sashaway just raised $12 million bucks. Yep. They're kind of in the robo space as well. And Bamboo yep. kind of just doubled down with their existing investors, right? But again, they announced a $10 million raise. Yeah. You've had kind of a heck of a ride as well for the last year and a half. And you yeah. just, do you so, have them? And you were just acquired as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, how does that all work? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I don't even know where to, where to start. But so um, wherever you want and talk as long as you want, because I'm really <laughs> curious. So I think like the last time we spoke, yeah, it was a year and a half ago. Uh, we were preparing for our Series A. Uh, but at that time, we took a really hard look at our business the environment that we're in and also we looked at us as founders and we really tried to understand what we are doing how long we can keep going with it and what is the end game right and um, we came to a real, uh, realization that to keep fighting with all the players that are launching in in singapore and in the region uh, and to be in the same race of funding your series a series b and keep burning money, acquiring clients, without actually that there's a different kind of approach to it. We can actually find ourselves a partner that can acquire our company. And that's the decision that we took, that we're gonna focus on now actually finding a buyer for Smartly. And, and we focused on that perhaps almost a year, year and a half. That's what I want to know. So it took you that long, yeah? It took us that long to close the deal, to find the right partner, uh, to make sure that the decision that we made is the correct one um, and, and and we can go with it, right? So, uh, because we definitely saw that we, we don't want to be in this kind of race to the bottom, right? So who's going to survive? Who's going to raise more funds? Uh, who's better at PR? Um, so we took a, diff a very different approach. Uh, like I mentioned before, um, I'm I the robots, I love robots. I'm very passionate about robots, right? But the thing is, to do a standalone robo in Singapore, where you have five million five million people, right. or in Malaysia, in Malaysia where you have thirty million people, the markets are very very small uh, compared to the US, right, where we have three hundred million people, very mature markets. Uh, right. You can use a lot lot more functions and features on your robo advisor platforms, 
And even if the top robots in, in the US, Betterment is, has like half a million users, they manage 15 billion, Wealthfront is right up there as well. Then it becomes a question like, what can you do on a market where we have 5 million people and you're competing with all other banks as well and or all other alternative investment platforms. So you have to kind of think about this stuff as well. So for, for us, it, it became very apparent that I think it's better to be a part of a larger ecosystem than keep grinding it out, doing it alone. Do you think one of the other differences is um, educational in the sense that there seems to be one more necessary step in Asia in general, but in Southeast Asia in particular, that doesn't exist in the United States and in Europe when it comes to companies like Betterment and Wealthfront, and that is nobody, not nobody, but nobody at scale really needs to be um, informed and educated about what investing is, what the stock market is, what an ETF is. No, no one needs to do that. Just like, oh, wait, Betterment's cheaper and easier, and it's more like Amazon than Merrill Lynch. I'm going to do that. But in, even, even in Singapore, which is pretty well banked, there still, there still seems to me, and Vietnam for sure, there still, still seems to me to be an educational problem. Like, what's an ETF? Yeah, why exactly do I invest not. money? Like, what, why would I give you $5 a month? I don't understand. That's exactly. the extra step, yeah? Yeah, education is one of the key questions. I think if, if you look at the platforms, right, they do, uh, most of the platforms in the region, they do financial education courses. Right. Nobody's, nobody's doing it digitally today. And I would say nobody's really focusing on it as well. So uh, I would say like strongly trying to understand how you can actually bring in the education part as well. Uh, in Smartly, we had in our pipeline and we actually built a uh, gamified educational platform that was combined with Smartly. Uh, and the whole idea was that if you read an article or you watch a very simple video, after doing that, we would ask you two or three simple questions about the content that you just read. And if you answer the questions correctly, you get rewarded on Smartly platform in terms of three days. So the more you learn, the more you benefit. and the more money we will manage manage free for you. But we are actually never got into a stage where we were able to launch that feature. Uh, but that was the that was the goal for us. Right. Um, and the educational part is better in Singapore, definitely in Malaysia, Thailand. But if you, if you go to Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, then you are re really struggling with. And what I see today being in Vietnam now uh, is that the cap is very, very big between what asset managers are trying to do and the products that they're selling right. and and the retail clients actually trying to understand what the <laughs> hell is going going on. So <laughs> so so it it's it, it, it's something that I think you can't really solve it fast, but people need to focus on that or companies need to focus on, on the education part. Yeah. So you decided, like you said, you took a different course and you decided to get acquired and you found your partner in Vietnam. We touched a little bit on this process, but can you just give me a little bit more detail about what that was like just logistically? And then I want to understand also like how you feel about all that work and then kind of being acquired. But first talk about how it works logistically, right? So someone says, we'll buy you. Yeah, so for us, uh, the whole story started actually three years ago. So when we launched in Singapore, we didn't go after our, our own individual license because it's quite costly. Uh, back then, I was like 25, 26, I think I was 25 years old. You can imagine like two guys walking into MAS from Estonia saying, we want to build the first robot advisory platform in Singapore. We need a license. Uh, 
which is so naive when I think back. But that, that was the case, right? So when we launched and started talking about robots, there was nothing in Singapore. Right. Um, so, so it was very, very new. And, uh, and we saw right away that we're not going to get our individual license. So then the next option would, that we had was to partner up with a fund management company that has a license. Right. So through that, we found BCG Partners, who is the subsidiary of Vina Capital. And they said, actually, we like the idea. We like, the, we like you guys. We believe in the idea. They invested into the company as well. And we formed this partnership that whereas we build the tech, we market the platform, we do everything. They just give us the regulatory framework. And, and that, that's how it started. And throughout the years, uh, we've been live two years now with BCG. Uh, and we just saw that this relationship is working out. Uh, they were our first choice, actually, uh, to get acquired by. Uh, and they, they even hinted that to us along the way. Uh, but before deciding who we want to sell to, we went around the whole Singapore and tried to find out what is the interest, actually, from, from the market. And, um, but yeah, it helped greatly that we had this partnership from, from, uh, from straight out of the gate. Right. And I think that's, that's one way that a lot of, uh, other startups should consider building up their companies, right? So hiring your own lawyers and compliance officer and filling all the capital requirements, it's very, very costly. You lock up a lot of valuable capital in the early days. And if you don't just have that funding or these funds, then it makes sense to look at other opportunities. And throughout the years, you can build up your relationships uh, with these fund managed companies who are usually much bigger than you. Uh, you can kind of see this kind of exit opportunity, or you can see someone as your partner for long term who can invest into your company, help you, share their network, and assist you along the way. Because everybody is trying to scale their businesses. Is it traditional or is it a tech company? All have one goal in mind to make money, to scale up, and to do something amazing. Yeah. So that's how it that's how it happened. And uh, and yeah, we were very fortunate that Vina Capital picked us up. Um, that it fits into their long term vision. Um, they are very, they're, they're one of the leading asset management companies in, in Vietnam. They For manage sure. roughly around two billion US. And 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 it's a very great thing to have in our resume. Um, but yeah, but we were very naive. Uh, it was one of the hardest things we I've ever done, and I think my co co-founders agree with it. And and uh, and yeah. So today we closed the deal in uh, March 2019, and now it's it's very weird to be out of out of it. It's like you've you've lost your life, or you're like so lost. Everything is gone gone from your life. That's how I feel today. Really? Why? Tell me why. Yeah. So I don't like like I like we went to super extreme with Smartly, right? So the first year we were paying ourselves two thousand Singapore dollars in Singapore, and you pay half of it for rent, and then you have thousand dollars to live in a country that is not cheap. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we just really pushed it. We went to the extreme. Um, you gave up like your family life, no girlfriends. You just work. It comes from the cost of your health. So you really like kind of dig this hole for yourself. And, and, and this is like your baby that you care about. And now once it's gone, then a very large part of your life kind of exits and you don't know what to do with all the free time. And you're like, should I, should I help the new team? I want to feel like I want it. And, and it's a very, very like, and I'm, I'm going through this process as we talk. So every day I'm trying to think like, okay, what am I doing? Why I'm doing it? 
how smartly doing so it's like sending your kid to a boarding school or something or i don't know so everything is very fresh for me yeah it's it is kind of interesting i was going to say it's almost like empty nesting in a way or breaking up with your girlfriend or getting divorced in a way but that's amicable but not like you're still not happy about it in a way right yeah. because there's got to be this emptiness you're right if you're 25 years old and you just go all in right and all in into a space that maybe, if I remember correctly, you had done a lot of research on, but you hadn't actually participated in full scale, right? And then no. you build this thing, you get a partner, BCG, you know, through Vina Capital, everything starts moving. And then you look around and everybody jumps into the party, right? So, you know, at mm. one point you were alone and now there are who knows how many other robos, right? And in a way, so because Bamboo kind of did the same thing, right? In other words, Ned went out and he raised money from Franklin Templeton. It's it's equivalent at some level to Vina in the sense that it's an existing company that has a license that has, you know, millions of clients and who knows what their AUM is, right? So it's a similar strategy, although they raised again, but it almost feels like they're going to be acquired. I haven't spoken to Ned, but that's what it feels like to me. But then one day you wake up and you're like, you mean I don't have anything to do? I don't have to push as hard as I was pushing? Like, that's a weird feeling, yeah? Yeah, no, it, it's just, it's super weird. Like, and now every other thing that I do, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm not using my brain enough. It's like only like <laughs> 20% of the whole capacity. So I'm like, what am I doing? And, and but in the same time, you're like, you're a bit like, you know, I don't know if you can say if you're in a depression, but a lot of founders who exit from their companies, yeah. they like, they, lo they lose such a big part of their life that they get lost and they don't actually know how to handle that situation because uh, it's so new to them and they're not used to it. Um, but yeah, but like when you, like you mentioned Bamboo, Stash Away, all these guys, uh, we actually spoke to Bamboo when we, we started uh, we met Ned. Ned actually wanted to acquire us in a very, very early days right. uh, just to get our tech and speed up his process. But we never got to the deal because it was so new. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing to see like how all these companies come along. And uh, now actually, if you talk to the MAS, all like uh, the processes have been kind of built out. They understand what robots are. They're players on the market. So it, it, for, for the regulator, it's also much easier now to accept new applications. So we did a lot, a lot of the hard work of educating actually the regulator, maybe a bit of the market and getting everything in place. So definitely all these guys are pioneers in, in Singapore. And it's interesting to see how everything plays out. Yeah, it is. And I guess that's the question as well is what did you learn what did you learn when you went around the market in Singapore and tried to gauge interest, right? So you knew you kind of had a natural partner in Vina, but you you do owe it to yourself to look around and say, is anybody else interested more? What did you What did you learn from that? Definitely, like if you if you see like bamboo raising funds, right? They sell their technology uh, to financial institutions. You see Stashaway raising funds. You see no new or now you have Endowas money out. Auto wealth is doing quite good as well. And, and if you go around, then what I see has happened is that the retail clients of DBS or HSBC, OCBC, uh, these clients have started asking their banks, like, what is a robot advisory? Are you providing this service? Right, right, right. So, so it, it's gotten this far where like everyday people are also like, okay, do you offer robot advisory service? Can I get it from my bank that, where I do my everyday business? So it's matured a lot more. And um, 
Um, but we saw, yeah, definitely there's a lot of interest, a lot of interest for robots, the technology. But in the same time, um, the robot technology in its core, it's, it's nothing that unique or special, right? So you can buy a white label product or you can build it on your own with half a million uh, and then you have it. But then it's the question, how are you going to execute on the technology that you have and what is your market strategy? So I think like a lot of these companies that are interested, they're still weighing between two options. Should I acquire? Should I build my own? Should I white label it? Or should I partner with some in some JV? So these are the main questions that are going around because globally, we haven't seen that many robots being acquired. Uh, at all. There's only maybe, I don't know, four or five. And uh, and actually, recently, we've started seeing a small trend in um, robo-advisors going bust. So there was just recently a company called uh, Swell Investing in US, raised 30 million US. Wow. Been, in business, been in business for two years. They ended up with, I think, 30, 40 million in AUM, 10,000 customers, and, and they just went bust, right? So I think that this stage is still coming. So, so, uh, so we'll see, we'll see. But the main question is, there's definitely a lot of interest, but the interest is from, from a question like how we can use the, this technology and to roll it out to our existing customers or how we can put it into like this larger ecosystem. And then the question is it like, should I acquire the company? Should I build it on my own? Should we just partner? Uh, these are the main questions. Yeah, it's, so this is really interesting, right? And I just keep having this term in my head, FIFO. I don't know if you know accounting at all, right? So first in, first out, right? And it appears to me that you are the FIFO robo advisor. In other words, you were the first, but but you are, and it's really weird because, yeah. you know, I I watch this space really closely. I do an entire podcast on fintech alone, right? And I have a partner in Preve Technologies that basically builds a bank in a box, and they've made a decision at scale to just be you know, a provider of services to big banks, because just like you said, they look outside and say, we need to have all these components, we need to have microservices, but we don't know how to build them internally. And what you're saying is, I think, and I think you're right, all these other companies, we don't need to name them, but all these little robo advisors and people building all these components at some point, are either going to get acquired, go bankrupt or consolidate because each individual service on its own is not a business, right? Exactly. So you're very right. So the global trend, for robots is now if a company comes out with some new is it digital bank or some wallet or whatever they actually roll out a robot advisory service then they will add to that the acorns model then they have the now very popular is like to have your own like debit card so people can transact yep. then you do like personal savings you monitor how people send money but they're like rolling out this one holistic platform that does all of these amazing functions uh, that are currently mainly provided by individual companies. So they get consolidated. Right. So that's the biggest biggest trend that we're seeing today because the technology itself is it's not that unique or you can't really protect it. It's very, very simple at its core. Uh, but yeah, you're very correct. You either go bust or get acquired or consolidate and, and, and build it out more. So we talked a little bit about this emotional feeling, right? Like yesterday I was the busiest person and the busiest I've ever been in my whole life and everything was my responsibility along with my partners. And today I have, in re in relative terms, I, I have nothing to do. Like I have nothing to do. And you said exactly. it's hard to have a social life when it's, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, when Saturdays feel like Wednesdays. And because I, I, I know what it feels like, you know what I do. And yeah, like yeah, exactly. I, I do it alone. It's like I have no idea what day it is or what month it is anymore. Exactly. But it's now just work day for you. it's just work. Every day is a work day, right? Can you meet me on Saturday because Friday is fully booked kind of thing? 
But what does it do to your relationship with your partners as well? In other words, you had two co-founders, I think. Yeah, I had two co-founders. Uh, so I stayed with I stayed with Vina Capital. Uh, I just want to be sure that the baby continues to live, that the right. new management can take it over. I want to assist them and make sure that we're headed in the right direction. So I still deeply care about Smartly, right? So I, ca I can't let it go. I've tried to say like, it's not my business anymore. I shouldn't be worried, but I am. I'm freaking, I'm freaking out. So, uh, so still super into it. Uh, but, uh, but two of my other co-founders, they've moved on. Um, one of them is building a new crypto exchange. And the other one is very active also in the crypto space. But I just, um, I just felt like, okay, I'm going to stay committed. Um, I'm, I'm not super tied up. Uh, I still like to keep my freedom. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still want to make sure that everything goes smoothly and I can help as, as, as long as I'm a part of it. Right. So if I have the option to help in and give my feedback and option uh, opinions, it's fine. But uh, I, I told myself as well, like you, you need to get out of it. And, but <laughs> But then again, I've, I've never been happier, really. <laughs> so I've, for some reason, I'm super happy right now. It's like uh, a big part of my life is gone eventually. Uh, I, I have mixed feelings. But in the same time, I feel like I'm, again, recharging my batteries. I'm thinking much more broadly. I'm taking the, the learnings that I got. Um, I'm actually building a, a new product as well on the line because I, I just can't stay out of it. Um, uh, but this is just I'm doing it. Because, again, I deeply care about um, the people in the region. Uh, and uh, maybe one day we can talk about my new new venture. But Yeah, uh, we, it, we definitely will. Are you, and so I have a few, a few more questions. Like, yeah. are, you, are you getting paid more? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting paid more. Good. <laughs> Good. No, if, if I didn't get paid more, I don't know. Then I'm doing something. I don't wrong. Know, I'm, wrong. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing something very, very wrong. Uh, but getting paid is it's amazing. <laughs> so, it's weird. So, but can can I talk about this for a second? I haven't yeah, had sure. I have not had a full time salary since the end of two thousand and eleven. So it's been almost eight years. Oh wow! <laughs> so um, then you know you know the feeling. Oh, I know the feeling you know the... <laughs> really, really, really well. But I I get the sense from you that it's almost like coming out of an oasis. I mean, coming out of the desert into an oasis. You're like. You mean there's all the water that I want? I can just do exactly. It. So there's like there's even more. Like it, it's 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 so different. I, I still have to get used to, to that. And uh, the biggest kind of risk that I see today, and I'm kind of already feeling it. Like I could get very lazy, right? So you actually have a very good salary. Your work doesn't demand so much from you. You're still into executing on a fast pace. You want to move things. Um, but then again, I'm thinking like, okay, it's it, the life is pretty good, right? So either I I get I get more comfortable day by day, and I settle down and I commit for like a long term contract, or I'm gonna take a stand like, no, no, I'm still too young, I still have a lot of energy. Let's keep pushing. Let's see what comes next, and then maybe when I'm 35 or 40, I can say, okay, now it's the time to enjoy the Saturday life. So still, still trying to figure out what is the right approach. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a weird feeling, right? When you're building something and you've, you're paying yourself the minimum possible amount, you know, you can't date because how, you can't even afford to take somebody out, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's a weird thing to say, but that, that's just a fact, right? And then you look at other people who have a corporate job, you know, guys and gals that go to a, an office in a suit and you look at them almost derisively in a way like, Jesus, that's easy. Who would want to do that? Exactly. And, now, and then it changes. 
it, it does, it does. So I've never been on that side of the uh, equation of having like a very stable income, good job, you know, that I can like build myself up, have a good career, yeah, yeah. Uh, go from go from investment analyst, a senior analyst, to get an MD director or whatever, right? So right. it's also like a good path to take, you get good money. But then again, like I see already like, you would be in, in a very kind of limited kind of niche, right? You can't really experiment that much. No. You, you do work for someone else and uh, you're kind of like in this very, very small box, I would say. Yeah, it's also, uh, it also destroys your soul. Yeah, so I, yeah, actually, I don't know. Maybe I should try it like for five years and then I can come back and really compare what is the startup life and what is actually doing the corporate life because I'm, I've only... So far in my life, I only worked uh, for one other company before, and that was a car rental business. I did my summer internship, and I had a really bad like boss, and I was like, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to work for anyone else, like really. So, but th- this is the first time in my life where I am actually right. So I'm, I'm not yeah. anymore part of uh, part of Smartly. It was a hundred percent acquisition. I'm totally out. Um, so. So it is, it is, it, it, it's very, very different. Um, and, and, and I don't have the answers today. I, I, haven't, I haven't had the experience before. So still trying to understand what is the right thing to do. But I'm thinking that after September, I'm going to go to Bali for a couple of months. Just for you. Do, yo- do, you, do yoga, meditate for two months uh, and keep working on my project. And then come back with full batteries um, and, and, and clear mind to see what I want to do next. But it, it's important, right? So as entrepreneurs, you stop a project, was it successful or you failed or whatever it is, you kind of want to always jump to the next thing. I want to do next thing. I want to do next thing. But it's very important to take time time off. Just You have to force yourself. Otherwise, it, it, it might get uglier very fast. So I was going to say, it's a good learning to have, right? Yeah, exactly. But but you have to force yourself. You really have to. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to lose. You know, the thing is, it's almost like running a marathon, right? When you're done doing it, you don't realize how hard it is when you're doing it. When you're done doing it, you kind of fall over the finish line. Your legs start to hurt. You're like, I'm never running another marathon again. Exactly. And then then you look at the calendar, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, Hawaii's coming up. I better start training. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then the next thing you know, you've got the sash on and you're running another marathon. You're like, I promised myself I wasn't going to do this again. Exactly. It's the the same thing, but it it is important to recover, right? So I think one topic that is totally not covered is the mental health of uh, entrepreneurs in the space. I want to do a whole show on this. This is why I love this conversation is because Mm. I want to talk to entrepreneurs about just how hard it is. No one ever talks about this. So I was talking to a guy here a guy named Gear Vinswall who's built a couple of companies and runs an accelerator here or like a company builder here. And he was just like, nobody ever talks about how hard it is. It's hard. Yeah, because, pe- because like as, as a company, right, if you look at like startup news, they're all so positive. Oh, it's we bullshit. did this. It's bullshit. I, 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 went, I went to this podcast and uh, we had this fundraising and we were featured on this. Everything is so positive. So it's like looking at Instagram models, right? Everything is so good, but you know that is it is not. So I think we should judge like companies like based on how good they look. And then you see, actually, I think they're building up this illusion uh, because there, there's a lot of shit going on. And, and uh, the mental health question is, uh, I think it, it's super important. And, and entrepreneurs, they go so into the extreme. Uh, and even like I would say, uh, white collar workers as well like people push themselves so far and and they don't realize right. until they 
fell apart. Um, right. And it's and and I I went through that period as well. Like you can imagine living here with like the lowest salary ever. Like okay, what is the food quality that you're eating? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Do you work out? Can you afford a gym? No, you can't afford a gym. Okay. What do you drink or how how do you relax? Then you end up like drinking beer and whatever it is. So it's not healthy at all. And I think we should focus uh, focus on it a lot a lot more. I agree. I agree. Look, let's do this. Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time today, but this has been awesome. And let's do this. Why don't you take a break for a few months? Congratulations on on being acquired, and congratulations on just not being able to let go as well. <laughs> but yeah. let's do, let's do this in a few months after you come back from Bali. I really want to catch up again and understand like the mental state, but also what you're working on, what the new thing is that you're going to do. I, I have a feeling that entrepreneurialism is an addiction in a way. Just that. You know what I mean? That concept of building something from nothing is so addicting that once you do it once, you're like, I cannot just sit in an office somewhere and exactly you know, so built into nothing. For me, the biggest addiction part is the full freedom that you have. You don't like you don't have to prove yourself to anyone, right? So right now, if I, for example, just quickly, if I work for Vina Capital and uh, and I'm part of this company now, uh, I feel like I have to like show res- results and I worry about. Am I doing enough or am I not? But in a startup world, it's like everything you put in, that's what you get. And um, you don't you don't think about these questions. It's, it's weird. In different environments, you get different questions in your mind. But thank you for having me. Happy to catch up with you. Everything is very new for me and um, I'm happy to share more. Kia, that was awesome. That was awesome. I agree. <laughs>